Well, good morning. Got your Bibles? Turn with me to the Gospel of John. We find ourselves as we work through verse by verse and chapter by chapter through John's Gospel to this wonderful and amazing and hard section of Scripture from verses 22 to verses 59. If we had a little bit more stick to it, I would have preached to the end of the chapter, but you're welcome. We're going to stop at verse 59. But listen, I give you some more notes today. Please get some. If you don't have them, you will need them this morning. This is, by and large, sections of Scripture where people would preach the bread of life and not preach the whole counsel of what Jesus said when He declared it. And this morning, we are not going to skip any of it. And so, brothers and sisters, before we read it, let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that we have been bathed in the cross. We have done it through music. Through the singing of your word and your truths and your promises of who we are without you, but now who we are in you. Thank you, Lord, that the tables are set. And all those in Christ are welcome to the table. It's good news. But oh, God, it came at a high price. Help us, God. Help us, God, we pray to hear the truth. And even if there's some things that we don't understand, Lord, to say, I believe and I trust you and thank you for the cross. Thank you that you have given us to the Father. And he's never dropped a child yet. Let us hear your word. And be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. We can't read all of it today, but I do want us to read a core text. And so stand to me, stand with me to your feet. We're going to read verses 27 to 35. John 6, verse 35, is the central text of this section. So let's back up and get a little context. Verse 27 of John chapter 6. This is God's words. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. They said to Him, What must we do to be, to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him on whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what signs do you do so that we might believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word. Could be seated. Hard sayings and physical cravings. 
This is what this text sort of has today. We have just got through singing the song, Thank You. And as I'm singing that song, I thanked him that I got to preach the gospel this morning. I thanked him that you get to hear it. The reality is there's verses in here that many a time in past searches as you sit here year after year that the pastor strategically skipped these passages because he did not want to cause any conflict or any stumbling and so he just skipped them and brothers and sisters how can we know the bread of life if we do not hear what the bread of life said to us so I'm going to ask you this morning deal with the text deal with the text and let the text deal with you I would also say this I'll offer this up our growth group will meet this Friday here at the church at 6 o'clock, if there are any questions, don't do what the people did in this passage, grumble and complain. I am not a cuckoo clock pastor that pops out at, on Sundays. I am always here and I am always available. And our groups meet and we will talk about the sermon. Twin truths. I had this chain left over from a student thing that I used to illustration. I don't normally do this in a sermon. I don't normally use illustrations and props. But I thought this was fitting today. We, used, we talked about this last week. Two twin truths that we have to hold this morning. Number one, we must embrace the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ. And two, we may take personal responsibility to walk by faith and obedience to Christ. You must take both. I'm going to add a little something to that today. Embrace the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ and call others to do the same. It's what I'm doing now. It's what you're called to do. And take personal responsibility to walk by faith and obedience. And listen, call others to do the same. We are not called to be out of tension Christians who beat each other with one, but to hold God's nature and character in tension to understand what the glorious truth it means to be saved. Because if you do not understand the problem of sin, you do not appreciate the gospel that you hold dear. We must hold both. And we must realize these do not belong to us. They're His truth. All truth is God's truth. And so I want us to do it today the best that we can. Because the truth is today, we are people with cravings. The people in this context were people of cravings. What do you find yourself oftentimes craving? Ice cream, right? Yeah, right. Especially at night. What is about ice cream at night? I, I, don't, I don't know, but there's something about eating ice cream at night. It's just special. Video games, right? And you usually want to play them when you're not supposed to, too, don't you? Oh, I know, see? There's some of that cravings I'm talking about. You're, you're a good illustration today. Chick-fil-A, right? Sometimes you just want Chick-fil-A sandwich. What are they put in them things? I don't know. It's just there. It's in there. My mama's chocolate delight or her fried chicken. Cravings are in our flesh. What the reality is the soul of people has cravings as well. There's a problem. And it's not just the fact that sometimes we want to play a video game when we're not supposed to. Or we want ice cream when we need to eat carrots. It's deeper than that. 
The people have filled their stomachs with the loaves and fishes. Do you remember? That's the context. But a little time has withdrawn. Remember, Jesus actually had to withdraw because withdraw himself from because they wanted to make him king. And they said, man, we could, we could get used to this. This is what the Bible said. God came to bless us and give us food abundant. I'll take that, Jesus. Remember, the disciples had went across the lake and Jesus had miraculously joined them. If you look at the text, look at verse 24. So when the, the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. The, the question is, what craving led them to go look for Jesus? What was going on inside of them? A spiritual hunger or a physical hunger? A physical craving or a spiritual craving? One commentator described it this, that they had full bellies and empty hearts. Physical, not spiritual. How much effort do we make sure that our hungers are met? Right? We don't go hungry. <laughs> How about spiritually? Can I ask you something, whether you're watching online or here? Has your desire grown for Christ since March, or has it waned? I have several quotes from Augustine. He hit the nail on the head this week. He says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Our problem is there is a restlessness in our soul, and our soul seeks the wrong things to satisfy it. I want us to see this morning that Jesus is the bread from heaven that gives eternal life. To those who believe. There's four points to this message. I want us to see the need. The need of eternal bread. Then I want us to see the source of eternal bread. I want us to see the response. Especially the people's response to this eternal bread. And I want us to see the supply. The need. The eternal need versus the temporal desire. Look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill with, of, of the loaves. Verse 27, do not work for that food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. I'm gonna, I want to, you've got to grab these humanity realities this morning. Or you will stumble when the bread of life speaks today. Got to understand who humanity is. All people by nature. Humanity by nature desires for that which perishes. It is our problem. It is not the problem of your mind. It is the problem of our natures. Our natures desire to be satisfied with something that is temporal, something that is visible, something that can give me immediate satisfaction. That's what your nature wants, not just your mind, your will, and your emotions. We are by nature those who want the temporal, not the eternal. Is this not what the prosperity gospel offers people? 
You can have a Jesus that will give you everything that your fallen nature desires. And they pile up in groves and say, I'll follow that Jesus. That's exactly the people in the context of this. I'll follow a Jesus that will give me what my fallen flesh wants. More stuff. Augustine again says it this way. How seldom Jesus is sought for the sake of Jesus. You see, in this text, the Lord is not fooled. We said that last week, you remember? He can't be manipulated. He's not like a, sometimes the grandparents can be a little soft and kids can play them a little bit and get what they want. Jesus will not have nothing of it. He knows man's heart. He knows the motives. He, know why they, he knows why they got in the boat, why they're asking, how did you get here, Jesus? They were hungry. They were hungry. Look at verse 27. Here's what he literally tells them. Stop working for that which perishes. Stop laboring. You're, you're working for the wrong things. You're laboring for something that is going to be spoiled in the morning. Can I ask you a question? We all know this is true. What are you currently anxious about that in a month you won't even remember? Isn't our life defined by constant worry and anxiety about things that we cannot control and some of them that we will not even remember in a few months? The Lord's loving command is stop. Jesus said stop working for that which is temporal. (laughs) Look at verse 28. What do they say? What question do they ask? What must we do? I don't know if it's in your notes, and my, my notes is cap, I, I capitalize we. You see, we, me, us, that's the problem. What must we do? Verse 28. They said to them, what must be we do to be doing the works of God? Second reality of human nature. Humanity by nature desires to work for their own salvation. That's why every other religious system provides for it. Every other religious system says, you want to be saved? Do this. Here's your list. What must we do? Just tell us what to do. Tell us which ones to keep. Humanity by nature wants that which is temporal. And humanity by nature wants to work for their own salvation. But you see, this is the point of this text. The bread of life cannot be merited. It cannot be merited. John's got this constant flipping the economy of God versus the economy of man upside down. The man says, seeing is believing. Just show us and we'll believe. And over and over, Jesus keeps saying, no, you've got it wrong. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Look at verse 29. How does Jesus answer? This is the work of God. That you believe in him who has sent. The work of God. Faith. Remember the woman at the well? A lot of parallel things going on here with the woman at the well. In John 4 verse 10, Jesus told her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is to saying you give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says that we are saved by grace through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Even the faith that we must use to believe is a gift from Him. It is a gift of His grace. 
Pastor Micah read from Romans 3. He went on to say in verse 28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So what must we do? The question shifts at verse 30. Look at it. What will you do for me? Now we're getting to the heart of the issue, right? Now we're beginning to see what's really going on, why they really got in the boat. What will you do for me? Verse 30. So they said to him, Then what signs do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Question. What just happened the day before? 5,000 men. (laughs) No telling how many people there were. Some estimated 15, some more, 1,000 people. They all ate. They all came to the buffet. It was fish and chips. And they all ate their full fill. Everyone somewhere, there was all you could eat, lobster or shrimp or something. You just make a glutton out of yourself. They all ate till they were full. So they're back. And, they, and then they asked the question, what work do you do? They even quote scripture. You see it? Verse 31. Our fathers ate man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. It sounds a lot like the wilderness testing, doesn't it? The devil's quoting scripture. Here's what he's saying. Here's what they're saying. What you going to do for us, Jesus? Moses gave us bread. You see, remember, context of Passover season. What passage did you think they were learning in Sunday school that week? <laughs> Exodus 16. It, it was, they were all from being delivered, and then the time of traveling through the wilderness, all that was in their mind. And Exodus 16 is exactly what happened. Jesus fed them. He said, something real important going on here. You see, if you look at Exodus 16, you read down a little bit, you see what happens when they went out and worked for more than Christ told them to get. So Yahweh told them, gather what you need for the day. Tomorrow I will give you what you need. That was a command. Only gather enough for the day. Gather the manna for the day. I'll bring you more manna. But what happened when they went out and tried to gather more? Maybe Jesus ain't going to, maybe Yahweh's not going to take care of us tomorrow. So, so let's go out and gather. Just, let's just be safe and sorry. And what happened to that? It's spoiled. That's the illustration he's saying here. You are working and you are worrying for things in the morning that's going to be worm food. Because it's not eternal. You ever went out into the sand where the dry sand is and tried to reach down and grab a whole handful? You ever tried to hold on to it? What happens the tighter you grip it? It's gone. That's what he's saying. Let's see. Don't miss that, brothers and sisters. From the Old Testament to the New, it has always been about faith. It has always been about faith. The manna in the land on the found the quail that came down, and the Lord's day itself was all about faith. It's about, I am the Lord. Do you trust me? This is the issue in this text. So look at verse 33. My bread, Jesus says, will give you life. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It's John's world. Remember John 3, 16. The world. No longer is the plan of salvation simply for the Jewish people. Now it is for all peoples without distinction. 
And so what did they say? They said the same thing the woman at the well said. Look at verse 34. Give us this bread. What the woman at the well said. Remember, give me this water. I won't have to come draw it up anymore. And so he gives them the source. The source. The need is extensive, you see. Because we want temporal. We do not want eternal. And so when they said to give it, he points them to the person. Because, you see, the bread of life is not a concept. It is a person. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the first of seven I am statements in John. In every single I am statement, Jesus is explicitly making his, his deity known. I am the bread of life. Here's what he is saying. I am the one who spoke in the burning bush to Moses and said, Go tell Pharaoh that I am who I am sent you. Go tell the people of Israel that I am sent you. What does the I am say? Whoever comes to me. J.C. Ralph says it this way, explaining this word coming. Coming is the soul's movement towards Christ. Coming is the soul's movement towards Christ. So what does he mean here, Pastor? Does he mean that, that when I believe, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I will never wake up as a Christian depressed. I will never wake up and feel like my whole life is a failure. I just blew it here. Is that what that means? Did not Paul himself cry out in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Didn't he feel like that some days? Why am I keep sinning, God? Why do I keep doing this? And he's, he's saved. What does it mean that this bread satisfies? Brothers and sisters, it satisfies because it gives you a new nature. Humanity by nature wants what is temporal. He gives you in a new nature something that longs for the eternal. Humanity by nature desires to work for their own salvation. The gift of God is to realize that I cannot be saved on my own and I don't have to. I cannot live life on my own and I don't have to. He gives me Himself and He gives me His church and all of it is grace. That's what He gives us. He gives us in our very soul that wants what it wants. A desire to want what God wants. And you cannot produce that on your own. This is what He gives us. This is the offer. Come to me. Jesus is the source and supply of that which satisfies the soul. That which your soul was meant to be satisfied with. And that's why He calls it eternal life. A life that does not begin when you die. It begins the minute you come and believe. This brings us to the issue of believing. <laughs> we need to believe. But look at verse 36. Believing's the issue. I, I should have called this the unbelieving. But I, said, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not what? You don't believe. Brothers and sisters, we underestimate the reality. We underestimate the extent of people's unbelief. It is deeper 
than you think it is. Because their unbelief does not go into their, just into their minds. It descends into their soul. Never underestimate it. The issue, what they must do is believe. But see, that's the issue. They have seen it. They have seen Him. Can I ask you something? We'll talk about Judas next week. What did Judas see? And yet he did not believe. You see, there first must be the giving. The giving. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So, just look at the text. Let me read it again. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What is the first cause of coming? Giving. Do you see it? Brothers and sisters, I'm not really explaining the text, I'm just reading it. The, the first cause of coming is giving. Look back up to verse 35. The Coming is the come, the word come has already been used. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me. He explains it in verse 37 that all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The word give here means to grant. It means to appoint. Brothers and sisters, in the very definition of the word give, it means it give to grant. As in a father giving his daughter to be wed. That's what that word means. It means nothing else. In that day, if the father did not give the daughter to be wed, she would not be wed. The result of giving is that all that are given come. So Jesus is looking at people who have already seen him heal. Many times and said, your unbelief does not surprise me at all. Because I know your nature. But your unbelieving nature will not prevent the Father's will from being accomplished. He sees their unbelief with sorrow. But listen, we'll talk about this more next week. Their unbelief does not make him anxious, nor does it surprise him. Because he knows the heart of all men. He was prepared for it. And yet he was there, and we're going to see this in a minute... To do the Father's will, knowing that the Father's will and His purposes would be accomplished. Turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We know this verse, but we don't often connect it with everything that John is saying. Because we oftentimes read John's verses out of context. John chapter 10 verse 27 says this. My sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one has the ability to snatch them out of my Father's hand. It's good news today, but it's sobering news those who are given will come willingly, freely, and joyfully, and they will place their faith in Jesus Christ. And those, brothers and sisters, will never be lost. And yet, for many of us, 
may not have ever thought about this giving language before. So let's look at, look at it being used in a different language. Different context, saying the same thing. Turn with me to Ephesians. This is not in your notes. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's going to say the same thing in a different way. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Notice the point is the will of the Father. From the beginning of verse 3 to the very end. It's the will, it's the blessing, and it's also the glory. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for, the, for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to what? The purpose of His will. To the praise of His glorious grace. To which with He blessed us in the Beloved. He gave us. He chose us. He chose us to adopt us before the foundation of the world. That is breathtaking. The bread is Jesus. The invitation is to come. The problem is unbelief. And the first cause of our belief is that the Father gives us to the Son. This is the order of the last, verse 39, the keeping. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up in the last day. He's the keeper, you see. He's the giver. The giver's the keeper. Verse 37, he's already said that in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will what? Talk to me. Never cast out. Never cast out. There's an eternal covenant being made here. When we enter into the eternal covenant with God, it's everlasting. The result of coming is to never be cast away, ever. Faith in Christ is the sure testimony of our election and the firm promise of our future glorification. This is about the will of the Father. From verse 37 to verse 40. Jesus says this over and over again. It's the will of the Father. It was the will of the Father for Him to come from heaven. It was the will of the Father to gather those that were given to Him. It was the will of the Father to keep all those who believe. So sure is your salvation that He in verse 40 takes it all the way to your resurrected life. If you are in Christ, you're in His hand. He said, you're in my hand. No one gets out of my hand. And I've got the Father's hand. No one gets out of His hand. Me and the Father are one. Eternal life was purchased at the cross, guaranteed by the empty tomb. What about the response? Have the need. It's great. It's eternal. The source is the Christ Himself. The response is grumbling. The response to the hard sayings of Christ is grumbling. Verse 41. 
So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Verse 42, they said, is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say I come down from heaven? This word is intentional here. It means to murmur and complain. It takes you back to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. you remember what happened before they got bread? They whined and complained. You remember what happened when Jesus started giving them manna every day? Oh, the bread. Bread again. Oh, oh where's a Pop-Tart or a bowl of cereal or, you know, some sausage or something? Bread again. So he sends them quail. The issue is faith, isn't it? They loved his food. They loved his healing, but they hated who he claimed to be. Oh, I'll take your food. I'll take if you'll heal my daughter. I'll take you if you give me a job. But don't give me a cross to carry. I will not accept you as Lord. I will not pick up this other end of the chain. So, here's the question. How did Jesus respond to their grumbling? Right? What's he going to say? Verse 44 is what he says. Brothers and sisters, this is what he says. This is what's next. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in the last day. This is how he responds to their grumbling unbelief. I have come, but you cannot come. You cannot come. No one can come. This word can means ability. They did not have the ability. That's what he's saying to their, why in the world is there so much grumbling, complaining? Why do they hate who he claimed to be so much? Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. He's not saying their legs are broken, brothers and sisters. He's saying their natures are broken. Their legs are fine. Their mind is, their head's still on top of their body. The problem is not their brains. Their problem's not their legs. Their problem's their nature. This is a moral problem. The Bible says it this way. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We, we have the gospel proclaimed and we cannot hear it. We, having eyes they could not see and having ears they could not hear. This is a moral problem. Listen to what he says. You must. You can't, but you must be drawn. You must be drawn. Brothers and sisters, to hold that word in context of the whole counsel of this scripture, you must, you must connect given in verse 37, withdrawn in verse 44, and granted in verse 65. We have to put those together. They are saying one and the same thing. You must be drawn. This word means to attract powerfully or lead by force or to haul. All of us have had to move something and had to haul something. And brothers and sisters, we could spend a long time talking about the nature of drawing, right? Here's the point. The point in context is that the Father's will produces what the Father desires. That the Father's will 
is effective. The same will that gives in 37, draws in 44, and grants in verse 65. How does this happen? The Holy Spirit is how it happens. And that's next week. That's next week. Comes right back to the other side of the chain. Verse 47. You see, all of that, has it been hard? Absolutely. It is hard teaching. You bet it is. If you don't feel how hard it is, you're not listening. The same time, verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. They are twin truths, forever friends. I will give, but you must eat. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. Comes right back to it again, what he said in verse 35. Comes right back to it in verse 48. I am the bread of life. He uses their illustration here. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread, verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He said, those people in the wilderness, your forefathers ate the manna every day. And yet what happened one day? They died. I want to give you something that brings life to you forever. There's two dimensions to this eternal life. The now and the not yet. The now brings us into a life-giving relationship with God. And listen, the greater you understand your Old Testament, the more you will understand how profound a statement that is to say out loud. (laughs) We can have a life-giving relationship now with the eternal God. And listen, with His gathered people. There's also a not yet. It guarantees us that though we die, yet we will live. Because the eternal life that he puts in us cannot be extinguished. And it will live forever with him. This happens in verse 51, the end of the verse. You see it? It only happens one way. My life for you. I will give my life for you. I am the bread of life, and so I will give my life. How? It's what they ask. Verse 52. The Jews began disputing among themselves. How? How can this man give us flesh to eat? It goes, it's, they're, they're asking the same question Nicodemus did in chapter 3. You remember? You must be born again, Nicodemus. He said, how? Am I going to climb back in my mother's room? How? That's what you're saying. How can we eat your flesh? You see what happened? Jesus speaks to them clearly. I am the bread of life. You've got to believe in me. And what did they do? They stumbled over the bread of life. So I want to be clear this morning. It's why we baptized you in the cross before I preached this message. That was intentional. If you're going to stumble this morning, It should not be over how the Father gives the Son a people who must believe and will never be lost. Say that again. If we are going to stumble this morning, it should not be over how the Father gives the Son a people who must believe 
and will never be lost. If you're going to stumble this morning, you should stumble on verse 51, the end of the verse. I will give my life for you. That should cause you to stumble. And it should cause you to stumble at the foot of the cross. If we're going to stumble this morning, we should stumble over the scandal of the cross. Say, why? How is it scandalous? Because no one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. Nobody. Save one. Save the one who came down from heaven and lived the life that we, sh- we should have lived, but we could not. No one ever deserves to walk into the presence of God and think he deserves it. Did you read Isaiah 6 last week? Anybody gets near the presence of God, they start saying, I am dead because I am not holy. No one dares enter the presence of God, save one. The scandal of the cross is that the perfect son who came and lived among us was tortured and slaughtered so that we might be brought to God. Do we not remember he was pierced for our transgressions? He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With His wounds we are healed. All of us went astray. Every one of us turned to His own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of all. That, brothers and sisters, is scandalous. And if we are going to stumble over anything, we best first stumble at the cross. Because this, brothers and sisters, is not what we deserve. This, brothers and sisters, is grace. That you are here today and you are believing and you are receiving the gospel as good news in your life is grace because you could not and you would not save God changed your nature and made it possible. The source is Christ. Our need is great. Our response is to believe. The supply is the cross. Cross is the essential supply in verse 53. This is what he says. He goes straight into straight into language that's completely figurative now. In other words, they completely get lost right here. He's already been clear and they wouldn't believe it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. There's both eating and abiding here. First he says, eat in verse. 53, eating is a metaphor for faith. The essential substitute came with the essential supply. Jesus was the substitute that went to the cross. He was the substitute. He was the voluntary. This was vicarious. This was in our place. This was His life for the world. No longer is it Jews only. Now Gentiles and slave and free, man or woman, any who believes will be saved. Isaiah's suffering servant of Isaiah 53 knows no limits. Jews and Gentiles alike. But don't miss the context, brothers and sisters. When he's talking, what season is it? It's the Passover 
When they brought that lamb into their house and they remembered, you remember they were slaves? They brought that lamb into their house and he told them to, at the right time to kill that lamb and to spread his blood on the post so that when justice came, it would pass over them. Verse 55. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, look at the next word, abides in me. This is John's words. He's going to tease them out the rest of the book. Believe and abide. In other words, eat and keep on eating. Believe and keep on believing. Abide and keep on abiding. A third quote from Augustine says this, Believe and you have eaten. Believe and you have eaten. So, brothers and sisters, the need is eternal. The source of that need is Christ alone. The response to that need is to believe that only Christ can meet that need. The supply is the bloody cross and the offering of an eternal, abiding, living relationship with God that lasts forever. So what today? So what today? Three life-changing encouragements, and we'll pick up this again next week. We must internalize the gospel, brothers and sisters. This is the point of the whole imagery. We must internalize the gospel. The gospel must be internalized. Think about it. Have you ever did this? I do it all the time. I'm, I'm studying or I'm working or something, and I look up, it's 3 o'clock, and what have I done? I've missed lunch, Right? Completely missed lunch because I'm busy doing whatever I'm doing. Got to get done with it. I'm that kind of guy. When you sit down for supper, what do you do? Do you chew your food up and spit it out? Do you wash your sweet tea and gurgle it in your mouth and then spit it in the sink? Do you think about eating? Do you get the box and study the nutritional value of that which you eat? And then go sit down and watch the news. Do we open up our books and understand our digestive system? And once we crunch it in our teeth and it goes down into our esophagus and then you lose me from there. It gets down in the stomach and goes where it goes. Are we going to study that? No. What are we going to do? We're going to internalize the food. Because the only way it works is if it's inside. The same way, brothers and sisters. Thinking about Jesus is not the same as believing in Jesus. Knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as putting your faith in Jesus. Understanding the process of salvation and spending endless hours fighting each other about it is not the same as trusting in Jesus. Lordship brings a living relationship to be enjoyed, not to be inspected like we're looking at a science project. And if we treat these truths today like it's some kind of science project, we will not be surprised when God gives us no light. God loves to be pursued because we love Him and we know Him and we want to know Him better. It means to be internalized. Internalizing the gospel is staking your life on the reality of who Christ is and what He's done. It's staking everything. It's putting all of our hopes, all of our trust, all of our today, all of our tomorrow. It is our hope. It is our confidence. It is everything or it is nothing. 
Believing means you relinquish all means of salvation from anyone else save Christ alone. I will die without him. That's what Peter's going to say next week. Where am I going to go? We must spend our lives. Secondly, we must spend our lives pursuing that which carries ultimate or eternal significance. I'm not, we talked about this. This is the same thing. I'm saying it in a different way. How we put God's power on display, right? I said that last week. How do I put God's power on display? How do I labor this one life? How much time do you have left? Answer, you have no idea. Remember what James says? Come you who say, I will go tomorrow to such and such a town and I will labor for years and I will do work and I will give profit. What do you know about tomorrow? You're like a mist in the morning. What you should say is if the Lord wills, we will do that and go there and such and such. But as it is, you boast. And all such boasting is evil. What am I going to do to make much of Christ? This is not a bad, good thing. This is a better, best thing. Sometimes your clearest choice for what the Lord is calling you to do is risky, radical, and countercultural. So this week, he's telling you, maybe we need to look at what we're laboring on and see what needs to be stopped. Because we could be spending ourselves on that which perishes. Somebody needs to hear this. And it could be nobody in this room. It could be somebody watching online. I have no idea. Stop climbing into bed. Looking for love that is only spoiled in the morning. Can I introduce you to somebody today? A man who will love you unconditionally and never let you go. And his name is Jesus. Spend your life, even in those whom we pursue relationships with, that are eternal. And now I want to call you to remember the cross. Respond to the cross. Remember the cross. I have more to say. I'll say it next week. But I, I want you to come in with me here. If you've wandered away here because it's been a long sermon, pull in here for a second. This is important. When the people of God set up the tabernacle, there was a table in the very presence of God. And on that table, they would put bread. Two stacks, six high. They would put it in His presence, you see. There wasn't just... It wasn't always just about sin. There was also about fellowship. Bread was where we got the term, breaking bread together. This bread was placed in the very presence of God. And when the priests would come in and they would take that bread and they would replace it, they would eat the bread in the presence of God. Do you know what that meant? That God was at peace with His people. And everything was okay. God People could not go in there. Only the priest could eat that bread. He was the mediator. He ate that bread that was fellowshipping with God and saying, it is well with my people. It is well. Peace. Brothers and sisters, the bread of life came down to earth. 
And he lived a life that you could not live. He died a death that we should have died. And he entered into the very presence of God. And he made peace with the blood of the cross in his own body. And here's what he said. Until I come back for you. You need to set the tables. You need to come to the tables. And when you come to the tables, you need to remember this. You have peace with me because of the body that was broken in my son and the blood that was shed in my son. You need to remember this until I come. So we have the table set. We have our offering at the back because we bring our offering not to pay God back. We do it out of the sign of our gratefulness. And if we can't do it out of a grateful heart, we don't do it. We give it out of gratefulness to Him when we come to the tables to remember what it cost for us to have peace with our God. Let's pray together. And so now, Lord, we respond to this Word. It is and it was and it will always be a deep Word. One, the more we study it, the more sometimes it confounds us, it humbles us, it makes us grateful. That God, you are beyond our understanding because you are God. But thank you, Lord, that the truths you give us belong to us. And you have told us today. You give us a glimpse into yourself. You give us a glimpse into ourselves. And so now we can only respond. Not only thank you for the cross, but Lord, we will actively respond in worship. We will actively respond now as we stand and sing, as we go to the tables, as we give, and as we go into the world that you died to redeem. Receive our worship now. As we sing, as we worship, as we pray, as we celebrate. In Jesus' name. Amen.